This week, we're going to continue our message series that we've been in called More Than a Story. And you guys know this, that this, uh, the past series that we were in, we spent 14 weeks on 1 Corinthians. That was a little bit of long, a long time. Some of you guys were like, when's he going to get out of 1 Corinthians? This is taking a while. Uh, but this time, what we're doing in this series is we're just looking at a broad overview of the Bible. Like, what is the Bible? How is it delivered to us? You know, what are the different types of writings that are in it? How are, how's it sectioned out? Why is it sectioned out that, that way? And we're looking at that. But we said this for this whole series. The goal for this is not that you become some theological scholar or that you get like all this head knowledge and you get smart and all this stuff. No, the goal is, is that you have a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the goal. John says that Jesus was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So this whole idea that we can take Jesus and separate him from his word is is just not a biblical idea. My mic is falling off my tiny ears. So there we go. We're good to go. The, the, the whole idea that we can separate Jesus from the word, we just can't do that. It, it has to be like it, it, we learn about the Bible and in doing so we grow in our relationship with Jesus. We've talked about in this series how the Bible is broken up into two major sections. And those sections are the covenant or the formalized relationship that we have with God. And so the first section, the Old Testament, is the Old Covenant. That's God's relationship with Israel. The New Testament is the New Covenant. That's Jesus' relationship with all of us. And all of us say, thank God for that. Um, Learning the Bible not only keeps us in relationship with God, but it also helps us to grow into the person that God created us to be. It helps us to grow into the person. So it's not just about keeping a list of right and wrongs. It's not just about do this, don't do that. If you do this, you're going to go to hell. If you do this, you're going to go to heaven. It's not just about that. The Bible helps you become everything that God wants you to be. And so if you're looking in life and you're like, man, life just doesn't seem like it's all that it's cracked up to be. Like there's got to be more than this. You're not going to just find the answers of what not to do in the Bible. You're going to find the answers of how to find the life that God created you for. You're going to find that there. So for the Christians, the Bible isn't just a nice book where we find things that we agree with and ignore the things we don't know. We let it shape us. 2 Timothy, we read last week, 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. For the past couple weeks, we've been looking at the structure of the Old Testament. We talked about the law. That was That's the first five books of the Bible. And this outlines God's covenant relationship, his formalized relationship with Israel. Then the prophets came along. The prophets called the people back. And so as you, we, the people started wavering and started doing their own things and they started following other gods and as, uh, you know, things happened in their country and, and they got sideways. As they started wavering, the prophet said, no, no, guys, we got to come back to the promise that God uh, created us to have, the, the relationship that we're supposed to have with God. The prophets pulled the people back in the writings we talked about last week, show us what life looks like. As we live out the covenant, that's like Psalms and Proverbs and those books. 
This week, I want to shift gears and we're going to look in the New Testament. So if you got your Bibles today, I want you to open them up to Matthew chapter 16. It's going to take me a little bit to get there, but we're going to eventually land in Matthew chapter 16. So Matthew chapter 16. This week, I want to look at the first four books of the New Testament. This is the new covenant with Jesus and all of us. And the first four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are called the Gospels. The Gospels. Where do we get the word gospel? That sounds like a very churchy word. And it is. It's a combination of two old English words. We don't speak old English anymore. But the gospel is a combination of two old English words. And what this means is uh, it's a combination of the word uh, goad, which looks like God. It's God, but with a a line over the top of it. That means good. This is uh, different. Uh, but really close to the old English word that we still use today, and that is God, right? So it looks very much the same, G-O-D. It looks like that, still, still very much the same. And for hundreds of years, God and good have been very closely tied together. In Mark 10, verse 18, Jesus says that no one is good except for God. And so the modern phrase that if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard this, God is good all the time and all the time, God is good. This is a old idea, right? So the, the, the first word, the, the first word of, of gospel is this word good. Spell is an old English word and it's news. So really the gospel is simply saying good news. So the gospel, when we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of Jesus, this is good news to you and I. In a world full of of bad news, in a world surrounded by despair, as a Christian, you have good news. So what's the focus of the four Gospels? The focus is this, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who he was, what he did, what he taught. We find all of this in these four books. It's worth noting that Jesus himself didn't write these books, and so you you might think, well, Jesus wrote the gospel. No, he didn't. These four guys wrote the books, and each gospel, each good news story that we have, it comes, uh, it, it bears the name of its author. And each author had either a close personal relationship with Jesus, so these guys were the guys that lived with him uh, and, and, and were around him all the time. They were his disciples. In this case, this would have been Matthew and John. Uh, or they had a very close relationship with someone who was a disciple. In that case, uh, Mark was a traveling uh, companion. Some say he was like a secretary to Peter. And Luke was a traveling companion of Paul. Luke was actually a trained physician and was seen as one of the first historians of the church due to the detailed nature of his writing. He also wrote the book of Acts that we'll talk about next week. The Gospels were written as full accounts. So this is a whole idea. Like This is a full account of the life of Jesus, each in their own right. So Matthew is a full account, Mark, a full account, Luke, full account, John, full account of the life of Jesus in its own right. This is why we see similar stories, similar teachings, similar events in each separate one, because the idea was is that when people first read the Gospel of Matthew, they might not have access to the Gospel of Luke like we have today, where it's just a couple of pages over, 
right? And so you see the same stories popping up. Jesus says similar things popping up where he feeds the 5,000 or the 4,000, wherever those numbers are. It's the same event pops up at different times in each of these gospels. The general theme of the gospel of John is a little different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he talks about how heaven came down to us. We talked, we read it in the, when we started this series about the word becoming flesh and dwell, dwelling among us. Heaven came down to us. It talks about how Jesus was with God in creation. So John gives a very clear and direct presentation of Jesus as the Son of God of Jesus as the Son of God. And where John is a look at Jesus from heaven down, the general theme of Matthew, Mark, and Luke is Jesus from the earth up. It's just a different way of looking at the, the same natures of Jesus. We, both, we said this a few weeks ago. Jesus is fully God, and He's fully man. He's not like half God, half man, where like He's got one foot in both places. He's fully God, and he's fully man. And we see this picture in the Gospels. Jesus is definitely manifested, if we look in the Gospel of Matthew in particular, he's definitely manifested as the kingdom of God here on earth. John the Baptist preaches in Matthew 3 that the kingdom of heaven is at hand in the person of Jesus. So we see that in Jesus, in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, in the lives of his followers, in the lives of you and I, when Jesus is alive in us, when the Holy Spirit is alive inside of us, we have the kingdom of heaven in this present reality. It's something that we're waiting for. It's something that we're longing for, that we're looking to when God is going to make all things right, when there's no more sin in the world, where there's no more pain, no more sickness, no more tears. We're waiting for that, but we believe that here and now, Jesus is alive in us and the kingdom is operating in us and through us today. This is a theme of the gospel of Matthew. In the books we see, in these books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see Jesus' humanity. We talked about how Matthew traces the lineage of Jesus. And we talked about how Luke gives this very, very detailed account of, of his life and really the most detailed account of his birth. When you read the Christmas story, what are we reading it out of? book of Luke. And Mark is really like an action film when you read it. He always talks about, and immediately Jesus did this, and then he did that, then he did this, then he did that. And it's like... Like that. That's how the book of Mark works. These books gradually roll out, almost like a lawyer making his case, Jesus' unique relationship with God as his only son. And one of the crescendos that Matthew rolls into is in chapter 16. And I want to look at that today. Matthew 16, verse 13 through 18. And this is all about who Jesus is. Jesus was with his disciples and he was in the a district of Caesarea Philippi. And he asked them this question. He said this in verse 13. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Son of Man in, in that culture, it was like a personal pronoun. So basically he's saying, who, who do people say I am? When, when, when you talk to other people, what do they say about me? And they said this, some say John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, some others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Several things are happening right here, and I just want to take a moment and unpack them for us. We see in the text that he refers to Peter as Simon Peter, and he also refers him to as Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar is a short way of saying in that culture, son of. So it's like, you know, you, you have the name, uh, the Irish name, O'Reilly. What happens is, is they would be like, you know, you know John? Yeah, yeah, which John? Uh, John, O'Reilly's son, John. Well, let's just start calling him John O'Reilly. Like, that's what they would do. And so Peter, which, or, or Simon, which Simon are we talking about? Simon, John, uh, John, Jonathan. Okay, Bar-Jonah. Uh, that's what they were doing here. And so that's what Jesus is calling him this. And Simon was his given name. However, in the Bible, there is a rich history of God changing a person's name when he changed their character. When God, when a person had a relationship with God, when the, an, an encounter with God, and God changed them radically as a person, He literally gave them a new identity. We see this in, in 2 Corinthians. He who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. God would actually rename people. In Genesis, Ab- Abram became Abraham. Jacob became Israel. And when Jesus met Simon in John chapter 1, He changed His name to Peter. And Peter means rock. Now, when Jesus is saying, on this rock here in this passage, I will build my church, is he saying that he's going to build his church on Peter himself? I don't think so. The context, when we read it, suggests that Jesus isn't building his church on the person of Peter or a personality. Rather, he's building his church on the idea that Jesus is the Christ the Son of the living God, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One that all humanity has been longing for and waiting for, the One who is going to put us right with God, the One who is going to save us. Jesus is this person, and it is on this idea that the church is built. Today we see all kinds of gatherings built on personality. But here we see that the church isn't built on the personality of its local leaders. It's built on the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. For the group of people that's gathered together to dedicate themselves to this idea, Jesus promises that He will build them. He will protect them. And so as we gather, it's not about my personality or Aaron's personality or Mike's or anyone's in this room. We gather around the idea that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when we do that, He promises to build His church. Does that, does that mean, what does a promise mean? Does that mean that we can take it to the bank? Absolutely. Does this mean, though, that we won't have trouble or persecution? No. Jesus says in John 15, again, the teachings of Jesus is what the Gospels give to us. John 15, verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Or they will persecute you. So we will have persecution in life. We will have trouble in life. We will have conflict in life. We will have things that we have to work through and struggle through. The Bible doesn't say we get a pass there. 
But what it does say is that Jesus will build his church and he promises to watch over us. If you study church history, we have survived oppression, martyrdom, all kinds of false teachings, demagogues, really bad leaders, wars, massive splits, and the church has miraculously survived all of it. The church has survived all of it because Jesus promises to watch over it. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is all I'm going to say about this week. Tuesday night, I have liberal Christian friends who were losing their mind because they thought the election results were going one way. Thursday night, I had conservative friends that were losing their mind because they thought the election was going another. Listen, Christian, your hope is not in who's sitting in the White House. Your hope is who's sitting at the right hand of God. That's who your hope is in. So, settle down. Jesus builds his church and he protects it. The Gospels clearly reveal Jesus' teachings to us. I want to encourage you as a believer, as someone who says that they follow Jesus, about once a month, read the main teaching that Jesus gave us. This is in Matthew chapter 5 through or chapter 7. Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. This is called the Sermon on the Mount. It, it was like this collection that Matthew gave of the teachings of Jesus. He teaches about, uh, about you know, the, the poor and about the law and about what to do with your anger and about what to do when, when you pray. And he teaches us how to pray. And he teaches us about hypocrisy. And he teaches us how to follow God and how to do all these things. He, he actually teaches us this. And I think so many Christians today, we've talked about here, sometimes we want a new word we want to know, like, what's the freshest thing that, that the, the book that's coming out or the preacher on TV or whatever. Sometimes we want a new word and we just skip over the things that God has just proven time and time and time and time again for us. And so what I want you to do as a Christian, just every month or so, read Matthew 5 through 7. This is the longest teaching of Jesus put together that we have in Scripture. So Matthew 5 through 7, that's the Sermon on the Mount, the longest teaching of Jesus that we find in the Gospels. It's found in Matthew 5-7. through Make sure you're checking that out. So the Gospels clearly reveal the teachings of Jesus. Second thing, the Gospels clearly reveal Jesus' mission. Some of you guys have heard this verse before. Some of you guys can quote it. Some of you guys have seen it on football players' helmets. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him may be saved. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is, already, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We've talked earlier in this series about Jesus' mission is the mission of the Father. There's not this, this idea that you may have in church that there's God the Father and somehow He's the mean, judgmental one of the Old Testament just waiting to smite you. And Jesus is the nice one who just loves you how you are and the Holy Spirit's the one we don't understand. You know, like this whole idea that, that Christians have today. That's just not true in the Bible. 
The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in complete unity. And that is the mission to save mankind and glorify the Father. That's what it's all about. That's what this whole book is about. That's what Jesus' mission was when he was on earth. The Father, Son, and Spirit are completely united in our redemption. John 5, verse 19 through 20, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing in greater works than these, he will show them so that you may marvel. Jesus and the Father are working together for your redemption. You need to know that God the Father loves you. He cares about you. And wherever you're wavering, whatever ground you're standing on that's shaky, wherever you feel like wandering off and, and, and doing your own thing, the Father wants you to come home so he sends the son jesus to die for you jesus mission the gospel clearly reveals jesus mission lastly the gospel show us how to be a part of jesus mission you know here's the thing that i think if 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 we didn't have work to do as christians if we didn't have work to do the second you get saved, the second you come into relationship with Christ, God should just take you right then, right? Just go ahead, take you up to heaven, let you be in his presence forever, and it'd be good to go. But I believe that God has work for us to do. We have, he wants us to be a part of his mission. He doesn't want to just save us and that's it, boom, end of story. No, he wants us to actively participate in what he's doing. Work is not a bad thing. Work is not a bad thing. Some of you guys think, oh man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to relax on a beach and I'm going to have a, a virgin pina colada in my hand. You know, I'm just going to be chilling with my feet up, right? No. Work was in the garden. Adam, Adam had to work the garden. So work is a thing. Like we have to do that. Like there's stuff for us to do that we get our hands dirty for the kingdom and in the kingdom, we get our hands dirty. And Jesus says this in Matthew 16, just a little while later, after he, he says, on this rock, I will build my church in the gates of hell. A couple of verses later in verse 24, he says this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me for whatever, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Much of Jesus' ministry that we see in the Gospels was come and see. There's over 30 miracles that Jesus did. 30 times Jesus raised people from the dead. He healed people. He, he turned water in, into wine at a wedding just to make his mom happy. He, he, do, he does all these things in the Gospels. He fed thousands and thousands of people with just one boy's meal. He does all these amazing things. And so there's part of Jesus' message that's come and see. Look what I'm doing. Look what God is doing now that the kingdom is around you, that the kingdom is part of your life. Look, what ha look what's happening. There's a come and see aspect to it. But we see in Matthew 16 that the invitation of Jesus to us, 
his followers, those who have seen, those who have known, those who know his goodness, those who've been transformed in their life by his power and his glory, those who've been this, there's an invitation to us not necessarily to come and see because we have seen and we'll continue to see, but his invitation is to come and die. Deny yourself and take up your cross. For the followers of Jesus, we can't dig our heels into our own way. Instead, we find life by doing the same thing that Jesus did. By saying, God, I don't want to follow my own will. I don't want to do my own thing. I want to do yours. I want to do yours. When Jesus teaches us to pray, again, I said, read Matthew 5 through 7. In Matthew 6, he teaches us how to pray. The Son of God, God Himself, teaches us how God wants us to pray. It's an amazing passage of scripture to read in Matthew 6. One of the lines he says this is God, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we find the life that Jesus has for us, and we only find this by not sticking to our own way or what benefits us or what makes us happy, but when we say, Jesus, I will do whatever it takes to please you, to honor you, whatever your will is, that's what I want to be a part of. When we live our life that way, we bring heaven down to earth. The hope of heaven, the love of heaven, the peace of heaven, We bring that into our everyday lives because Jesus is alive.